Why are we here? We're here to make disciples, are we not? Has that changed in 2020? No, it remains constant that he still has entrusted us with this mission. And how are we doing it? We're engaging one another. That's what this is about. This is engaging, isn't it? It's coming together. And those of you that are watching online, engaging it in your homes with your family and, and possibly people in your neighborhood. And we are empowering each other. We're reminding each other of our identity in Christ. Has that changed? Has God's love for us changed? Has his grace that we just sang about, is it any less infinite? Well, I want you to think about it. You're asking rhetorical questions because they're obvious. Maybe so. But I want us to be reminded that that has not changed. Our identity in Christ is secure. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're his. You're in his family. And you're a part of his kingdom. You're a part of his mission. And he loves you. He loves you. And he will always love you and love me, believe it or not. And we're here to equip one another. Jeff talks about the e-group starting. You see what's happening over there with the kids. All right, I can't turn around. What's that? We're, we want to keep equipping and teaching. It's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to open up God's Word. If you have your phone, if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke 17 because we're going to equip one another. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to equip us. And maybe more than any other season that I've known in my lifetime is we need to be committed to encouraging each other. Because people are giving up. In my little world of interacting with other pastors, pastors are giving up. Oh, this is a good time to retire. Oh, this is a good time to pursue something else. They're incredibly discouraged. All these restrictions, what does it look like now? This is nothing that I was prepared for. People are getting discouraged and they're, they're giving up. They're walking away. We need to double our intentionality of encouraging one another. Can I encourage you to do something? If God lays a look around here this morning, you see a face that's here, you see a face that's not here. And over the course of this next week, if, if God just brings a name or a face to your mind, would you act on that? Don't take it as, you know, too much pizza last night or whatever. If a, a name or a face comes into your mind of someone in your life, take that as from God and reach out to that person. Call them, text them. Find a restaurant that's open on the outside and go have, yeah. have lunch together or whatever. Don't ignore God's prompting because more often than not, God's saying, I'm aware of someone who was discouraged and a phone call from you, a note from you, a text from you, something from you would remind them of what they have in Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to encourage one another. Now, I say all that in part because this morning is, is, is not necessarily encouraging. It is, but it's, it's tough. We're in a text in Luke 17 that I personally find very challenging. And we're gonna walk through that this morning. I'm gonna to try to be briefer than, than normal, so pray for that, okay, because of the weather. But in Luke chapter 17, we, we continue to see Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. And I want us to keep something in mind as we have seen it over the last couple of times we've been together, and it's gonna just continue to be so as he moves to Jerusalem where he has the last Passover he is arrested, he is tried illegally, he is sentenced, he is crucified, he's buried, he rises from the dead. That week, that weekend is coming. And as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, what we see, not just in Luke's, but in the gospel, all four of the gospels, but particularly in Luke, Luke wants to make it very abundantly clear to Theophilus and to us 
that Jesus' focus is narrowing. It's narrowing down. Now, technically, it's narrowing to the disciple. He doesn't care what's happening in Rome. He's not something he doesn't care. But he's not focusing on Rome. He's not focusing on the, the even the temple and the, 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 the spiritual authorities. He's not focused on the economy. He's not focused on health and, and, and those kinds of things or, or um, people not having food or whatever. He's been very focused on the poor, hasn't he, in Luke? He keeps bringing us back to that. But as he moves towards Jerusalem, his focus really zooms in on his disciples. But it's connected to a focus on the Pharisees in that he wants, in every way that I could find, he wants his disciples not to be like the Pharisees. Remember that phrase, be on your guard? We're going to see it again. He's going to use it again. You got it, you guys, guys. You, you, you've learned leadership from your examples. You've seen how people lord it over. Remember that passage? But not so with you. And as he moves towards Jerusalem and the final week of his life, he really focuses on what he wants his disciples to be. Because when he's raised from the dead, 40 days later, he's going to return to the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit will come at Pentecost and now... His mission, his eternal purpose for this earth is going to be placed in the hands of Crossroads Church. His disciples. And he's got 12 that he's zoomed in on, and he's got three, and he's got one. But he, he, he knows his time is short, and so he really zooms in on what he wants them to understand of what it looks like to be a disciple. And he contrasts that consistently with the Pharisees. Pharisees were a very prominent influence in their life, weren't they? We might say today that the media is a, is a pretty strong influence in our life. This thing called reality shows. I, just, I know I'm behind the times, but I just finally learned the, the term influencer. I've been hearing that. I didn't know what that was. I'm very sad now that I know what that means. And, <coughs> excuse me. There are people in our world that have influence and shape our culture, shape our thinking. People that we admire, people that we looked at, that, that look to, might be sports athletes. Remember those people that used to go watch them play in these places with grass or hardwood, and we'd all eat hot dogs and eat popcorn. Remember those? Remember those days? Some of you are too young to remember those days. Those days might be back. But maybe that's you know who, or maybe it's maybe it's people in, in who are actors and actresses. And, and theater and their, their skill and they become famous and so they have this influence. In their day, those who influenced their culture more than anything else were these Pharisees, these leaders of the spiritual life of Israel. And Jesus is very clear. He does not want his disciples to be like the Pharisees. But he doesn't just leave that vacuum. He addresses how he wants them to be. You guys mind if I wear a hat? I'd like to say I look like Magnum P.I., but I know that's not true. <laughs> and many of you don't even know who that is, do you? Remember when Tom Selleck was young? Is it me or, or these new no-straw cups from uh, Starbucks look like sippy cups? Yes, they do. I feel like I'm drinking a sippy cup. So. I'm going to talk to you today about... Luke chapter 17. Join me there. There's one focus in the text that we have before us. There's many t 
teaching moments, but I believe they all focus on one aspect of what Jesus wants in you and I and his disciples. And it's this idea of humility. You know this word humility? Yes. This word humble? This elusive thing called humility? Because once you announce that you're humble, yeah, you, you've missed it, right? You've misunderstood. And, and, it, and, it, and you can get there. You can be humble. Should I just stand right here? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try not to move. <laughs> you, we can become humble. It's a work of God and the fruit of the Spirit, and we can be humble in the moment. But it's so hard to hang on to. It's so, it's so easy to lose it, isn't it? No? Anybody, I, I'm, I've had this experience where I've, I've, I've just, God, thank you. Wow, I really responded in a humble way in that moment. And, man, it's clear it was you, and you just stepped in, and I, I saw you, not me. And, that, man, it's so, I have such joy that I responded that way, and I walked through that, and I said what I said, and just the humility of God was there. And then somebody pulls in front of me and cuts me off as I'm going to Starbucks, and in a heartbeat, it's all gone, right? It's gone. Who do you think you are driving that piece of junk, you know, cutting in front of the It's elusive. It's, it's hard to stay there. But what's interesting is you, if you reflect on God's word, it's all through the pages of scripture. <laughs> that was really disconcerting yesterday. <laughs> You guys watching online, a little technical here. We'll be right back with you. These men are not here to harm me, so don't need to call this. I got my sippy cup. I'm good. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What is it that the Lord requires of you? You know this verse? To act justly. Is that current? Wow, think about that. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Luke chapter 14, we saw this a few weeks ago. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Who said that? Jesus did. He says, he'll say it in a couple of weeks too, in chapter 18. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Does, is, does Jesus stutter? Does he repeat himself inadvertently? Or does he emphasize things that he wants us to get? I would say the third. Anyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs chapter 3, he mocks. God mocks those who mock, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, I love that song. You guys let us in. My chains are gone. His grace. You ever find yourself just saying, thank you, God? Thank you for grace and not judgment. Thank you for grace and mercy and not what I deserve. He gives grace to the humble. You want a life of grace, living in God's grace? This is not just a New Testament. This is the heart of Jehovah. Then walk in humility. And when you walk in humility, I will give you grace. Peter picks up on this in his first letter, chapter 5. All of you clothe yourselves. Put on. Everybody should see. You see my Hawaiian shirt? You like my Hawaiian shirt? Yes. Very high. Is it humble? No, I don't know about humble because it's pretty bright. But I got up this morning. I thought, this is Hawaii. And then I get here and I see this short. This looks like Hawaii to me. Yeah. Yeah? I put this on intentionally, didn't I? Hopefully. What do you and I put on in the morning when we get ready to address the people we live with? Our spouse, our kids, or we go to work. What should people see us wearing? Peter says humility. 
put on humility. Humility specifically towards other people. Because God resists the proud. We learned that in Proverbs 3. But he gives grace to the humble. Paul said this in Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus. He said, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. That makes a great plaque on our house, on the wall. But you guys know that that is hard to live. Isn't it? Come on, don't look at the white car driving over there. They're not lost. Is it not hard to look at that person in front of you across the table, in the bed next to you, in the bathroom crowding you, in the cubby cubicle next to you, whatever it might be? That person is more important than you. Yes. That's how God asked me to live my life. That person that cuts me off, that person serving me my sippy cup, that person, that woman that lays next to me in the bed and I wake up in the morning and say good morning to my wife and I lay down at the end of the day and say I love you. And well, what about in between? Do I really live like she is more important, her needs are more important than my own? That's hard. But he said, just like Jesus, you should consider others more important than yourself. Everyone look out, not for your own interests, you should, but also for the interests of others. Humility makes space for other people. Pride pushes out everyone else. Pride says, I'm the only one that matters. My needs are the only needs that matter. And humility says, no, 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 no. You have needs. But create space in your thinking, in your heart, in your, in your time, in your resources, in every aspect of your life. Make space for others so that you can meet their needs because their needs are actually more important than your own. And then he goes on to describe Jesus, but he says this. He says, make your attitude just like that of Jesus Christ. And if you remember, he then describes the crucifixion. Is that by accident? I think not. So in Luke chapter 17, this idea of humility, I want you to have that word in your thinking as we move through this text. Verse 1, he says to his disciples, he's teaching his disciples, offenses, stumbling blocks will certainly come. They're going to happen. But woe to the one they come through. Now he's not going to tell us what the woe is. He doesn't give us that. But he does say this. He says it would be better for him... For that person, if a millstone, you know what a millstone is? Yep. It's the two stones that were shaped and they had a hole in the middle and they'd pour grain in and those things, either a, an animal or a person would turn and the one on the top would grind against each other. They're made out of stone and they had a hole in the middle and they would ground whatever you were grinding into flour so you could make bread. He said it'd be better if you took one of those things, lifted it off that and, and made it a necklace. I didn't do that. I looked at it your force okay take one of those stones put it around your neck and jump into the sea it'd be better if you were thrown into the sea with this weight today we'd say it'd be better if you sleep with the fishes <laughs> you know what that means wow rough crowd if you guys all know what that means cement boots It'd be better if you had cement boots, if you had this millstone thrown, put around your neck and thrown into the sea than for this person to cause, to bring about one of these little ones to stumble. That's shocking to me. You? Jesus says it's better. Let me, let me, I want you to think about something. People are going to cause other people to sin. People are going to put obstacles in front of other people. You remember the cleansing of the temple? 
Yeah. You think maybe this came to their mind? The money changers, the people that were putting obstacles in the way of people worshiping God. You remember him telling the disciples, the Pharisees, they load all these burdens on people's backs, all these rules, but they don't help them. What are they doing? They're causing stumbling blocks between people and God. They're discouraging people. They're making a relationship with Jesus difficult and challenging at times feels impossible. We could go through all the, the word of God and we could find example after example after example of those in leadership creating stumbling blocks for people. Scandalizo. I mean, we get the word scandal from this. It's scandalous in God's eyes that anyone would put an obstacle, a stumbling block between someone following Jesus and their God. And he's talking to his disciples and he's saying those stumbling blocks come through people. Are we together? Yeah. He says it's better that you experience physical death than be allowed to live and bring about the consequences to the other person into your own life by causing them to stumble. Matthew records this moment as well in chapter 18. Therefore, anyone or whoever humbles himself like this child, Jesus is surrounded by children in this moment, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes the downfall, the stumbling of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. Do you hear the heart of God? Do you? As Jesus is speaking, we're revealing the heart of God. Oh, woe to the world. This is how serious God takes it when someone causes someone else to stumble. When someone becomes an obstacle to someone's journey, their faith in God. Offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the fences come. If you're, listen to this. This is one of our favorite passages. Remember this one? If your hand or your foot causes you to downfall, what should you do? It's crazy. Throw it away. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life, eternal life, maimed or lame, than to have two hands or to have all your feet and all your hands and to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes your downfall, what should you do? What? I'm sorry, I'm mental or visual. Gouge it out and throw it away. Then you got to actually take it out. Okay. Sorry. If your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye rather than to have two eyes to be thrown into hellfire. Is Jesus serious about this stuff? Yeah. He really is. Here, here's all. I encourage you to write it down if you're taking any kind of notes. This is what humility looks like. It looks out for the good of others. Bottom line. You understand what humility is? Well, I'm very humble. No, I don't. No. Humility expresses itself in our actions, in our thinking, in our lives. And as we look at what we're about to do, what we're about to say, how we're about to respond, we first stop and say, how will this affect other people? How will this affect my brothers and sisters in my family? How will this affect my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my neighbor, my coworker, that Starbucks barista? Well, you don't understand. They never get it right. They got to come. Uh, 
Are you with me? This is very practical. He's not talking about spiritual by and by. He's talking about right now in our lives. Disciples, I'm going to be gone pretty soon, and you've got to get this. You cannot be like what you see around you if you're going to be my disciples and lead the church. You need to be humble. What does humility look like, Jesus? It means you think about others. You put others before yourselves. In fact, your decisions are grounded in what's good for others. What's good for others. Humility first looks out for others. And if that wasn't hard enough, he says in verse 3, he says, I want you to be on your guard. He's used this before. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Mm. How many like that word? How, ma- how many would rather... Okay, the word... Can I use the phrase I used to use in youth group? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I'd rather puke and suck it up than rebuke somebody. How many would say, I hate confrontation. I hate getting... So I'd rather puke and suck it up. Give me a straw than to get in someone's life and say, hey, there's something wrong in your... How many would, would just lift their hand? Hey, how many of you love rebuking people? Hey, John, just be on your guard. Because John is that guy. So you're leaving this morning. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. The word rebuke means to it's progressive. It has this idea of you start with a warning and you move to a rebuke. You move to much more in your face. It's a, hey, this is a command that you're breaking. I want to admonish you. I want to exhort you. I want to smack you upside the head, but the direction you're going, rebuke him. And if he repents, you do what? Forgive him. If he sins against you seven times, if he repeats that sin seven times in a single day, and he comes back to you each time and he says, I'm sorry, you repent. That was wrong. I was sorry. And then 30 minutes later, he does it again. What do you do? Forgive him. Yeah, easy to say. I was thinking this week, is it easier to forgive someone who doesn't own their offense? That's hard, isn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? When they act like they did anything wrong and it eats up. It, you set yourself free, by the way, when you do that. It's not for them, it's yeah. for you. Right. But that's hard. But I thought, is that harder? Yeah. Or is it harder to re- forgive someone who keeps coming back and doing the same thing? Over and over and over again. Because what happens is we question their sincerity, don't we? Jesus gets us. And he says, if you've got a person in your life that, let me just say, seven times on Monday, they did the same thing at work, the same thing to Nate. And, Nate, and they said, I'm sorry, Nate. And they says, look, I forgive you. I know what kind of man's coming home to Stacy that night. <laughs> no. You forgive him. Here, here's how humility is expressed. It always acts with truth and grace. Truth part is you face the truth. Hey, Alex, the way you're headed, man, can I just come alongside of you? Yeah, I, I wrote th- I wrote this down. Jesus expects us to engage one another in the mess of our sin. Alex is expected to come to me and say, "Kurt, I see some things. I hear some things. I, I just, oh, Alex," and he comes to me. I come to him and say, "Hey, is that fun? Is that how you want to spend your Saturday afternoon?" Or your evening on the phone, or whatever it might be. Jesus expects us as brothers to engage one another in the mess of our sin. And this is humility. Pride says it's not my problem. Someone else is going to take care of it. The Holy Spirit will convict me. Or he'll convict me, Alex says about me. 
Humility always acts with truth and grace. Seven times in a single day? Yeah. Have you ever had a day where you've sinned against God more than seven days? Yeah. Mother, brother, brother from another mother over there, gone? Yeah. And was there ever a moment where God said, I'm done with you? No. 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 Almighty God displays humility and grace to us by forgiving us every time we confess our sins. He is faithful and he's just. He forgives us and cleanses us. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4, Proverbs 10. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all offenses. And you know these words in Matthew 18 from Jesus. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. In private, do it correctly. There is truth. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. You forgive him. If he won't listen, you take two or more with you. So that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact can be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay, what is he saying? He's saying get in, engage each other's mess of sin. Because this is the reality. Offenses will come. But humility says I will always act in truth and grace. It doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. It matters what God says, what the truth is. And then what matters ultimately is that I move into that moment with grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Humility always acts with truth and grace. Verse 5. Maybe this is you and me. The apostles say to the Lord. In the Hebrew it says, holy cow. Is what they said. Are you kidding me? Increase our faith. This is tough. Seven times in one day? You want... I'm responsible for my brother, my sister. Increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be replanted in the ocean, and it will obey you. In another place, he says, you say to this mountain, be thrown into the ocean or move, and it will. It'll do it. What's the point? Have you, I, I don't know of any recorded incident of a mountain being moved by somebody with faith over the last 2,000 years. Literally, it happened. I don't know of a tree being uprooted from dirt and planted in the bottom of the ocean and it thrives and it grows. What's his point? I believe his point is that faith supersedes the laws that God has given us in his creation. Faith supersedes the laws that God has placed, such as a mountain and, and its place and how it was formed or a tree and how it grows. He says faith is greater than that. Faith is not limited by the laws of nature that God has established. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, but, but this, is how, this is how it works. Not if you have faith. But this is how people... Not if you have faith. This is the consequence of sin. Not if you have faith. If you just had faith, this small amount of faith, you'd be able to command this tree and it would do... Can I just say humility chooses a life of faith? We're called to live by faith in 2020 in the midst of all that is going on. Yeah, but hold on. Do you understand how our government works? Do you understand what, what the Constitution says? Do you understand it, that my rights? Do you understand? Yes, I do. I think I do. But faith supersedes all the law, all the rules, all the things that man has made. But God even indicates that God, 
And we know this, that they're called miracles. That faith supersedes even the laws that govern creation. People come back from the dead. People walk across rivers on dry ground. sounds very cliche-ish and it's not going to be received well by everybody as I know because I struggle with this but faith really is the answer and when you and I are in the midst of it in the thick of it and God just says trust me will you trust me every bone in my body my pride says ah increase my faith because right now I just don't see will you trust me humility says yes I'll walk by faith. We say that all the time, right? We don't walk by sight. We live by faith. But then we go out and we live by sight. Humility embraces faith, a life of faith. He goes on in verse 7. He says, which of you having a slave tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once. Come sit down. You've been working. You're one of my servants. You've been working all, all day hard in my field. Come down and come in. Sit down. Have some dinner. No, no, no. Doesn't he instead tell him? Hey, I know you've been working hard all day. That's your job. Fix something for me to eat. Get ready. Clean yourself up and then serve me while I eat and drink. And then later, when I've been served, you can eat and drink. And then does he thank that slave because he did what was commanded? And they're all going, what? Well, no, that's ridiculous. That's their job. In the same way, let me apply this to you spiritually. When you have done all that you were commanded, commanded by whom? Who do we serve? Who's our master? As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. Who's my master? Jesus. Becky. Oh, sorry. Jesus. Let's see if you're paying attention. And then Becky, right underneath it. In the same way, when you've done all that you were commanded, you should say, we're good for nothing. We're literally worthless. And it, it's, 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 a, it's the picture that this is who I am. I'm a servant. And I have a master. And I serve him. We've just done our duty. Humility embraces being a servant. I told you this is hard, and, and I'm speaking just from my own experience, my own life. It's hard for me to consistently serve all people. There you go. I confessed it. I can be a servant momentarily. I can certainly be a servant when I can see what it's going to get me. I can certainly be a servant when people are watching and go, ooh, look at him. But to be a servant, because that's my identity, humility embraces that and says, I'm content. This is who I am. He is my master. I'm his slave, and I'm going to live the life of servitude. Challenge, one of the challenges is this, is everywhere I turn, people are serving me. Go through the drive-through, they're serving me, right? Every, every, almost every company that I interact with, with bills and stuff, they do everything they can to make it easy for me, right? Now, recently that's changed, right? I get it. I mean, the experience at Home Depot is not what it used to be. I'm just saying. But we have come to expect that society exists to meet my needs. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple I got to tell you guys what you see in the Pharisees where they live for everybody to serve them 
You need to be a servant, and humility will embrace that life of servitude. And then this moment happens, and we wrap up with this. This moment happens. As he's doing this teaching, he's on his way to Jerusalem. You see in verse 11, he's traveling Jerusalem, and he passes between Samaria and Galilee, and he's headed towards Jerusalem, and he goes through a village. He comes into it, and there's 10 men there. Typically, the people that were in this set of circumstances would be on the outskirts of the village. And so you likely would run into them first. As he's moving into this village, there's 10 men with serious skin disease, leprosy, maybe. But they meet him, they come to him, and they stood at a distance and they raised their voices because that was the rule. They had to identify who they were. A bell, a voice, something says, unclean, stay away. They, they raise their voices because they're at that distance and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now that would have made more sense to them than it does to us. And while they were going, they were healed. These ten men are walking along. They're going to, to the, the temple. They're going to show the priest themselves. And one of them, of the ten, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet. Isn't that beautiful? Did you notice the difference there? The first encounter and the second? From a distance, he yells out and says, I want to be healed. This time, where is he? He's up close, isn't he? And he's at his feet. He comes right up to Jesus, and he falls at his feet. And he thanks him. Luke says he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus says, we need Jeff and his mad libs. Give me a number. Weren't there 10? Weren't there? Refresh my memory. Were not 10 men healed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? His implication is that the other nine were Jewish men. And the Samaritan man is the only one that came back and said, Thank you, Jesus, for transforming my life. Where Jesus' own people did not come back. He looks at this man and he says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Humility celebrates the goodness and the grace of God. Now, this guy's life was hard. Would you agree? It had been really hard. It would have been really hard to be bitter. Easy to be bitter. Or it would have been really easy. Where's the other nine? They're celebrating probably. They're partying. They're going places they've never been able to go before. They're buying new clothes. They're doing whatever they could do now that they couldn't do before. And they've already forgotten the goodness and the grace of God. Can I encourage us this morning? It's very easy in the place that we're in right now to overlook the goodness and the grace of God. It's so much easier for me to focus on my skin disease, to focus on my circumstances, to focus on why me, why us, why now? This is so unfair. This is so political. This is so wrong. And before I know it, I'm one of those nine. And I'm not the one coming back. I'm, no, I'm not at the feet of Jesus. And I'm not looking up into his, his, his face and saying, thank you. Thank you. Have you told God thank you yet today? Yep. Did you thank him for the blistering heat? Did you thank him for the rain? Did you thank him for the... You had to be here at 9 o'clock instead of 10.45 or whatever. 
and you're going to get in your car and it's going to be blasted hot and you're going to you're going to see your smud bill at some point over the next couple of weeks <laughs> just saying some of you are out of work some of you have family members that that are sick and and we know some pastor ivan in the way of the lord church is, is on a respirator However we look at this, it's so easy for us to forget, to not wake up every day and say, thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. What is that? That's humility. Pride says this is not fair. Pride says I don't like this. Pride says I'm better than this. I'm an American. I'm a whatever. I've been privileged for a very long time, and this doesn't... Thank you. Are we together? Yes, Humility simply says thank you. Thank you. Because God, you're good. Did you mean it when you sang it earlier? Is that what we just sang? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that I'm the one that offended my wife seven times in one day. And she forgave me and you forgave me. As our world goes, and up, Andy, would you come up? We're going to close. Andy's going to lead us in a time of prayer, and he's going to pray over us. And Anybody that can stay and help with the teardown, that's appreciated. We want to get everybody home. But as our world continues to move in the direction it's going, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Are you with me? Yeah. And if we allow pride, if we learn from what we see around us, and we allow pride to move into our hearts and our thinking, our thinking, we are not going to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I want you to be humble. I want you to move through life with humility. Because I lift up the humble. I give grace to the humble. I'm on your side when you're humble. But let me remind us, final thought, because he says this as well. He says, if you allow pride to be what moves you, I love you. And I'm against you. Can we agree? That's what he says? Because I'm against you. And I'll humble you. How much better it is to throw ourselves at his feet and say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. That's what our world needs to see right now. It's what I need to take place in my life. My brother needs it in his life. And we need it as the body of Christ. We be humble disciples of Jesus.